Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. running this morning uh, in our series. Uh, so we're going to read from Matthew 19, uh, verses 16 to 30. If you've got your Bibles, uh, open them up, whether that's paper or on your phone, or it will be up behind you. Uh, I always say, I think you should bring your Bible to church. I think it's better to have a paper one than a phone one, because when I look at my phone Bible, I also look at BBC Sport. I'm just, I'm sure none of you will do that. None of you will look at your phone Bible and then check Instagram midway through the preach. I know none of you do that, um, but in a paper Bible, you can't do that. It's amazing, isn't it? Wonderful technology. Right, so Matthew 19, 16 to 30, let's read. It says, and behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked to them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God's All things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have followed me, who will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So this whole story spins around verse 21, where Jesus says, come follow me. whole story spins around that statement, and it is a command for this young man to follow. Uh, And it's easy when you read this story to go straight to what Jesus says about money and about wealth, Uh, It's very important, but it's it's easy to go straight to that or to look at his attitudes to the law, um, which again is important, or even what he says about the beginning where he questions this guy about what is good, who is good. It's uh, easy to get into that stuff. But really, all this is about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is inviting this guy, this young man who has approached him, to look at his whole life, everything in his life, and to look at it through the prism of being a follower of him, of Jesus. He invites him to look at his money, to look at the money that he has in his wallet, in the bank account, wherever he has it, to look at his possessions, everything that he owns. 
But not only those things, because money and possessions also can be about having security, that sense of feeling secure. Okay, I've got enough money in my bank. I I feel calm and relaxed. I I feel like if I have more, then I will be more secure. Or, Or even that sense of comfort that we have. I know I can buy more things. That makes me feel more comfortable. Um, and that's something that we hold on to. And also our hopes for the future. Money can be about that as well. And as this young man comes to Jesus and he's wealthy, I'd imagine he had a, a pretty clear idea of his future. I'd imagine he felt quite secure in the money that he had. Some of the other followers of Jesus were thinking about how they could eat that day. Well, this guy uh, wasn't one of them. Uh, and to look at all of those things through the prism of what it is to follow Jesus. And he takes this opportunity of this conversation to explain what it means to follow him. And he had a few audiences in mind. When Jesus is talking to people, he's often talking, obviously, directly to the person who's come to him. But also, Jesus is aware of the people who are around him, of the crowds that are there. And in this particular case, he's talking to the young man. But he's also talking to his disciples who are watching, because Jesus then turns and talks to them. And he's also talking to us. A couple of thousand years later, in Manchester, he's talking to us as well. And it was a great challenge to that young man. It was a great challenge to the disciples. And I hope it is a big challenge to us too. So we're carrying on our series this morning, 10 Encounters with Jesus. And we're going to really think today, what does it mean to follow from this story? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And firstly, we need to see that following Jesus is costly. And the call to follow that Jesus makes to this guy actually is a universal call. Okay? He makes it to every human. He calls all of us to follow him. And the disciples, remember the disciples are kind of watching this interaction take place. They have all heard this call to follow before. If we were to go to the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, it tells the story of Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, calling people to follow him. Uh, And those disciples, they heard him, and actually they were in their boats, which were their businesses, uh, getting catching fish, which would feed them, their families, and they'd sell some for some profit. Um, That's what they were doing. He called them, and they put all of that down straight away and followed. In fact, two guys, they put down their fishing nets walked away from their business, and their dad, who was still in the boat. Okay? So these guys had heard this call to follow before. And so they are listening very intently to this conversation. They're like, well, this guy, he, he should follow like we did as well. This, this successful young man, very wealthy young man, obedient to the religion. So he'd explained how he keeps the law, he keeps the commandments. And at that particular time, wealth was seen as a sign of God's blessing. Uh, and we might think, well, that, we might view it slightly differently nowadays. We may not see, say that wealth, we may not look at a rich person and say God has blessed them. Um, but we may say that society has blessed them or whatever it might be, that they've lived a life at a certain point in history and so they've uh, done well. And it's a sign of uh, luck, perhaps, on them or good fortune. But at the time, they would say it was a sign of God's blessing. And they would also say that religious figures probably needed, therefore, to have a level of wealth. If uh, your wealth is a sign that God's blessed you, but you are kind of a religious leader, but you're skint, it does imply that perhaps God's not blessing you. That was uh, their view at the time. Earlier in, this, uh, earlier in the book of Matthew, another person of influence talks to Jesus and says to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And so Jesus says to him, okay, that's fine, you can follow me, but I've got to warn you about some things first. He says, foxes, they have holes in the ground. Birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said, you can follow me, but basically, I'm homeless. So I'm not highly blessed financially, I'm homeless. If you want to follow me, you're more than welcome to do so. But those foxes over there, they have a more comfortable life than you are going to have. Following Jesus is costly. And there was cost for the rich young man. And Jesus is trying to spell this out to him, help him to realise the cost that there was. And Jesus does this because he wants to reveal his heart. He wants to home in on the big issues in this guy's life, in his heart. And the young man, I suspect, as he approaches Jesus, I think he probably knows what the big issues are in his heart. If he was being truthful, he may never have told anyone before, but I suspect he has an idea of what's going on because he's going and asking Jesus, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? He knew that actually somehow he wasn't quite matching up. Even though by the rules of the time or the kind of traditions of the time, he was wealthy, therefore blessed, he knew in his heart because if he was happy and satisfied, he wouldn't have gone to Jesus. So he's approaching He knows he is lacking something. And it's almost like it's haunting him a little bit, driving him to question what his life is about. And he explains to Jesus, look, I keep the law. I I keep all of these commandments. I am, by my deeds, a very good person. I behave correctly. And even then he says, but what do I still lack? Now, I wonder if he'd been watching Jesus because he approaches him. I wonder if he'd seen this traveling preacher who lived a less comfortable life than a fox, Uh, this homeless guy who made outrageous claims about who he was, about what he could do, and healing people, and all of these things, had huge crowds follow him, but doesn't seem to really own very much. In fact, when he's wanting to feed people, he conjures food out of the air, feeds thousands of people. I wonder if this guy had heard these stories, had watched some of these things play out as he approaches Jesus. And Jesus gets to the heart of the issue, and that is following him is costly. It means putting him first. It means all of the things that are in our lives that are our priorities come after Jesus come second to him. And Jesus actually makes two demands of this rich young man, doesn't he? The first one is, okay, if you, if you want eternal life, if you want to attain to perfection, sell what you possess, give it to the poor. That is the first command. And then he says, the second command, come follow me. Now, the first command to this guy actually is very specific to him, okay? Uh, And uh, Jesus encounters a number of rich people uh, as he uh, journeys his way through his ministry. And he doesn't make this same demand to all of them. He makes it to this particular young man. He does expect that they, all of them, use their resources, their wealth for the kingdom. uh, But it works out in different ways. Um, So, for example, Zacchaeus, famous tax collector who robbed lots and lots of money from people. um, But when he encounters Jesus, he ends up paying back all of his debt, plus giving away some more money. uh, But he doesn't give it all away. He says he's still got some for himself. But he has a huge impact on his community, massive impact as people see it. In fact, some of Jesus' followers 
were very wealthy. We know that um, it's, there are some uh, particularly rich women who are part of Jesus' group, and they actually seem to fund his ministry. So Jesus is saying to this man, look, follow me. Hey, to follow me, you have to unfollow other things. He was trying to get to his heart. He's not creating a rule for all rich people, but he is saying, look, you need to use what you've got to serve me. Earlier on in Matthew, uh, Jesus says this. He says, look, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he's identifying this young guy is serving money. He's not serving God. Even though his behavior is good, he obeys the laws in his heart. He is for money. He's not for God's. So we go back to this rich young guy. They've had this interaction. And uh, Jesus tells him this. Sell everything you've got. Give the money to the poor. Come follow me. And the young man heard this. It says he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And sorrowful doesn't quite, the word doesn't quite catch it. It almost feels a bit like a, never mind, and he wanders off. It was more than that. Actually, there is anguish in this guy. He is actually grieving. That's some of what this word means. He's a little bit torn apart because he couldn't do what Jesus was asking him to do. And in that moment, his heart has been revealed to himself revealed what he truly worshipped. Even though he behaved well, he did, did the right things, he looked like a good religious person, perhaps an upstanding member of his church. Actually, his heart was for something else. It asks us a question, this. It asks us a question, what do we follow? I've been reading a little bit recently about uh, some of the revivals that have happened over the last few hundred years in the UK. Uh, and one of the striking things about a revival, a great move of God where people get saved, perhaps people get healed, um, is that they all seem to start with repentance, often in church first. So when we hear about revivals, we might see the big meetings or photos or hear the numbers of what happens and how many people came into church. But what usually happens is a small group of people are broken for God's and repent. And that repentance is to say we don't follow Jesus. Actually, we admit that and we're now going to turn our lives to follow Jesus, to follow him in everything. But this young man can't do it. He refuses Jesus. I don't know about you, sometimes you think... uh, Maybe if we actually physically met Jesus, maybe if Jesus turned up in my halls or turned up in my workplace, then everybody would see, oh, Jesus is here. He would heal some people. He would do some of the things he does. And everybody would stand up and follow him and it would be easy. Why doesn't Jesus do that? Actually, this young guy meets Jesus, knows lots about him, is in his physical presence, has a conversation with him, maybe can even reach out and touch him. And yet he still walks away. He can't repent. He holds tightly onto his wealth. And actually, I suspect his wealth is holding tightly onto him. So following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus is also impossible. Okay, let's see what Jesus says. Because at this moment, the, the, the rich guy, he walks away broken. His heart has been revealed as to what's really going on, who he's really worshipping, what he's worshipping, and he walks away. 
And Jesus, you kind of feel like if this was a movie, there would be a pause. Jesus watching him walk away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says to him, look, this is what I'm going to tell you. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And he just kind of drops this bomb in front of the disciples. And they are aghast. They, They actually are because they are asking, well, who then can be saved? If this is so difficult, if that really good, well-behaved, nice young man who obeyed all the laws, made his mum proud, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? Because there are some really horrible people around, and if this nice guy can't be saved, what about everybody else? Who then can be saved? They've met, when their time with Jesus, some pretty arrogant pretty self-righteous, really quite aggressive people that come at Jesus. Also, some very powerful people who have all ignored Jesus' call. But that guy, he seemed all right. We don't understand. And actually, that guy seemed to know that he was lacking something as well. He even said, what do I lack? What do I need to do? And he couldn't save himself. And Jesus' answer to this, to their kind of, their, their shock is actually very simple, but I don't imagine it brought them much comfort in that moment. He just says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I think there's a few things that we need to draw from this, actually. The first thing is that Jesus is making clear that wealth, money, if we allow it to dominate us, if we allow it to become our priority, our goal in life, the, the kind of the factor that affects all of our decisions actually can be a real faith killer. It can be, unless you submit it to God's. Wealth can, uh, if you end up following it, just dominate you. Ecclesiastes says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. You're always chasing it. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. If you're always chasing more, you'll always be chasing more. And he's saying, look, those who give themselves to to money, to the comfort and security that comes with money, finds themselves a long way from God very often. And when Jesus revealed the heart of this young man, he perhaps revealed the heart of what goes on in all humans. Money is a very powerful force. And Jesus says, ultimately, only God can change our hearts. With man, this is impossible, but with God's All things are possible. Actually, he is also reminding them salvation belongs to God. God is the one that saves. Only Jesus saves. We cannot save ourselves. Even this good, well-behaved, nice young man cannot save himself. And it's important, actually, that we accept the impossibility of it. We accept that actually through our own efforts, we cannot find salvation. It's in that moment of accepting that, that actually then we get to see what God can do, what is possible in God's. And Jesus doesn't make this statement to demotivate them, to say, look, okay, only only God can do this. So you lot just sit down, be quiet. Uh, There's nothing really you can do to get involved. He, He doesn't mean that at all. Actually, he's meaning to point them to God, to himself. That very short statement, it's impossible with man, but possible with God, is actually a statement about the grace and power of God. 
how God intervenes, how God saves. And a few years after this encounter, another guy, a guy called the Apostle Paul, he explains this in his own way in a letter to the Ephesians. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. This young man would have had nothing to boast. That's what Jesus was saying, what the Apostle Paul was saying. He is walking away at this moment from a free gift. The free gift that is uh, obtained by Jesus and given to us. And How do we get it? By having the faith to step out and receive it. This young man couldn't do that. Over this summer... Uh, Just as me and Vic were on holiday and we caught up with old friends and saw people we hadn't seen for a number of years, we we found ourselves in a few different conversations with people who had walked away from their faith or were in the process of walking away from their faith. And a few with people who'd uh, never been Christians at all. Uh, And I found myself wondering, particularly for the people who'd walked away, because there was a hardness of heart there, I found myself wondering, how on earth do they come back to God? Like, really, how is this going to happen? Because I know the answers for them, and they actually know the answers, but they are choosing to walk away. And I realized with this, without God, it is impossible, actually. God might call us to talk to people, to share our faith, perhaps with work colleagues, to when the opportunity arises, they're having an awful day, just to say, look, I I believe in God, we can pray about this if you want, or to serve people, uh, to love them, to go out of our way for them. We can do all of those things, and we're called to do that. We're called to share our faith and to pray for people. That stuff's really important, but only God can save them. Only God has the power to do that. So we see that following Jesus is costly, following Jesus is impossible, and finally, following Jesus is eternal. So the disciples have heard all of this. You can see their minds kind of spinning as Jesus is trying to explain it. And then Peter, and it's always Peter who kind of chimes up in these moments, he says in reply, look, see, we have left everything and followed you. Perhaps in that moment, he was remembering the boat and the business that he'd left behind. And there's some that think Peter had a family as well, had a a wife. Talks about how Jesus met and healed his mother-in-law. So uh, Peter has sacrificed a lot to be with Jesus and to follow him. He says, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter is stunned. He, he He needs to speak up. He cannot resist the urge. And he reveals the struggle that the disciples and that this young man are having with what Jesus is saying. Because they can only really see what is in front of them. They can only really appreciate what's in the world around them. They are thinking in a very short-term way. They don't have a view of eternity that Jesus has and that Jesus wants them to have. So Jesus, here's what Peter says, and Peter can can come across a bit obnoxious, effectively saying, look, what's in this for me? Okay, I've left a lot of stuff. And I don't think that's quite what Peter means. I think he's really just trying to understand what on earth is going on here. And Jesus says to him, look, Peter, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, Jesus is the Son of Man, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So Jesus is saying, look, there is a new creation. I'm going to make this new creation. That is what's going to happen. And at Jesus' death and at his resurrection, that new creation begins uh, to move into our world. That's what we see. And he's saying, look, I'm going to restore it to perfection. That is what will happen. And then I will rule over this new creation. And you know what? You 12 are going to be with me. It's saying the 12 disciples will be with me. That's what's in it for you, Peter. Okay? It may not be a salary. Remember, foxes are more comfortable than we are going to be. And actually, you may suffer quite a bit on this journey. But in the new creation, you are going to be with me and rule. And then Jesus widens it out. Remember, this isn't just for the disciples. This is for us as well. He says, look, everyone who's left, and then there's that list, isn't there? Houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, lands, property. You left that for my name's sake. Then you get to be with him in the new creation too. A friend of mine, I was just talking about him this week actually, has planted a church into a European city. And he's been there for five or six years, and he left the UK to do that, and it has been very hard work. Uh, He has made lots of mistakes by his own admission, tripping over mistakes. And him and his wife as well, in that five or six years, both have been quite ill as they've been trying to do that. And they've found that some people have joined the church and then left the church again. Uh, And they're five or six years in, and they feel like they don't have much to show for it. They've served, they've worked hard. Um, but it hasn't gone as they'd hoped. They left behind to do this, their home. They came from London. They left that behind to live in a foreign city. Difficult thing to do. In doing that, they left behind their family. They left behind their friends. They did all of that for Jesus. And is Jesus saying that, therefore, this is a guarantee of success? You'll get everything to a hundredfold. That is not what he means at all. When we take the leap to follow Jesus, to step out in faith, to even step out to just say, yeah, I want to be a follower of you. I will pay the cost. I will do whatever you call me to do, Jesus. Actually, at that moment, success is not a given. It's not promised to us. We have no right to expect that, actually, that, that perfect life. And many of the disciples who were stood there listening to Jesus at that moment, some of them would fail quite dramatically. I think Judas was there at that point. He would fail. Uh, Many of them actually in tradition would go and die. So Peter himself, tradition has, was killed just outside of Rome. Many of them would suffer and die for Jesus. And actually, if you read the early parts of Acts, they were beaten quite regularly. So Jesus isn't saying this is a a guarantee of a good, uh, prosperous life. But you are invited to view all of eternity, to see that actually loss for Jesus in this life is a massive gain in eternity, in Jesus' new worlds. And when Jesus asks this rich young man, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, he was asking him, look, have a view of eternity. When you sell everything you've got now, when you lose for me now, you will gain in God's kingdom. So to follow Jesus is an invitation to you, actually, to look at everything that you have and to look at it from an eternal perspective. And you might sit here and think, Tim, uh, I don't actually have very much. You might, you might think, I look, I look at my bank account, I can look at my student loan and show you that I have the opposite of much, actually. I have negative. Um, but actually, at some point in the future, that will change for you. 
And this is an invitation for you to look at your salary, your student loan, to look at your possessions, to look at your time, to look at your energy and enthusiasm, to look at your friends, your family, any property, anything that you might have. And it's an invitation, look at all of those things, but through an eternal perspective. Where do they fit into eternity? Where do they fit into Jesus' plan? And ask him how he wants to use them.